Solve the World, Episode 12, Cartoon. October 24th, 10 in the evening. Jen, as she's apt to do, tiptoes into her apartment. These days, she never knows what mood she'll find Tiff in. To her surprise, she spots Tiff sitting on the couch, head in hands, sobbing profusely. <laughs> Jennifer, they took Flusher. What? Jen feigned astonishment. She knew a day like this was coming, but so soon? They... they... they think he's a spot. What? How? Says who? Jen's outrage was partially for show. She was deeply curious as to what the real situation with Flusher was, and she was still unsure as to who were the spies and who were the spies. Look at it yourself! Tiff grabbed the jumbled paper off the floor, the Los Angeles Chronicle, and handed it to Jen. What am I looking at? Jen said as she peered through the paper. Editorial cartoon. The Mrs. Moose. And there it was. Clear as day. The likeness was undeniable for anyone who'd ever met Flusher. How'd she get him so clearly? Jen pondered. There, in the center of the page, was an editorial cartoon by the famous Mrs. Moose. The picture showed two cats. The tabby on the left wore a tuxedo and a pin that read, NSA. This mongrel was ripping the underoos off of the cat on the right while a speaking bubble above NSA cat said, Show me everything. The right cat looked pathetic as all its dignity was being ripped from it, and the face of that deflowered, humbled cat was Flusher. It was Flusher's face on that cat's body. Jen drew the paper closer to her eyes to scrutinize every detail. But what did it mean? Why was Flusher drawn as the victim of the NSA? Tiff spoke up through her crying eyes before Jen had a chance to ask anything. It's all over now. It doesn't matter if he's innocent or not. He is. He's my brother. He's my... He's, he's my friend. They took him away. I'll never see him again. Who? Who did this? Patriot! Of course, Patriot. It's always him. He gives and he takes away. Everything, 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 every, 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 everything. Tiff fell onto the couch and screamed into the pillows. Jen delicately walked over to her, placing a careful hand on Tiff's back. It's okay. It's it's okay. The words sounded dumb, but she could think of nothing intelligent to offer. You don't get it, Tiff said while breathing between sobs of ache. This moose is an inside agent for the, for the Patriot, for us. Uh... For us. <laughs> Again, the sobs and screams. This continued on for many minutes. Jen sitting there, feeling like a ghost in a room of pain. Not feeling like she was of any help at all. Jen retreated to the shower. Water. Warm water on a tired face. A tired body. Jen was thankful the shower noise, the pouring down of water, blared out that of Tiff's pain. Mrs. Moose is an insider agent, Jen recited in her head. So, she must be a registered patriot, like me. 
She's an old patriot with deep connections, and she uses her political cartoons to send messages to Patriot. Jen assumed she had pieced together something close enough to the truth now. The old philosopher was right. Everyone's connected. Connected to a system. How deep did this Patriots and Parrots system of rivalry go? This much was sure. Flusher was outed. The system had eaten him. As Jen dried off before slipping off to bed, one last disturbing question came to mind. Why wasn't Tiff included in the picture? Ugh. Well, Jen concluded in her mind, I can't stay up worried about things out of my control. I did my part, and I'm so very sleepy. Forty-four hours earlier, October 23rd, two in the morning. She wasn't sure what to wear. She had a key to the back door and a clicker to what she assumed would be a front gate, so it would seem that this wasn't exactly trespassing. On the other hand, if this wasn't breaking and entering, then why the covertness? Why 2 a.m.? Jin devised that it was better to assume the worst than to come clad in tie-dye and sparkles. She chose dark jeans, a black tank top, and pantyhose over the face. Who knows, maybe it was a trap. At least the pantyhose would give her some hope of evading facial inspection. Santa Barbara. What a peaceful, beautiful piece of the earth. After the 95-mile cab ride, Jen had the taxi drop her off at the UC Santa Barbara's library so that the driver wouldn't expect any shenanigans. She hiked up from there and planned to hike back down to call a separate cab back to LA, whenever that would be. Here now, this complex mansion, a sprawling, three-story home with spindles of plum and splashes of orange and blue all about. Spotlights lit the house, and also the real moat that bordered the building. This place echoed off a of far-off memory, like something loved at a very young age. This wasn't a building boasting its own opulence like St. Drogo's. This was whimsy worth living for. The only problem, Jen surmised from her initial intake, was that moat. She didn't want to go for a 2 a.m. dip. No guard on duty, no apparent security cameras monitoring the area. These were good signs, although Jen indeed was self-aware enough to know she had no idea whatsoever where people hide cameras these days. Deciding to just own up to the experience, I'm a ninja, she thought to herself. She scampered toward the front entrance like a cat. But the moat, the moat, what was to be done about the moat? Jen's wonderful surprise, a simple click of her clicker resulted in a majestic drawbridge. Not wanting for any passerby to catch a glance of her, she hurried over. Moat victored. Next challenge, front door. This one was easy enough. Jen used her key. Slip in, twist, slip out, pull. Door open. Sneak into the dark. Close door behind you. The house was still, and mostly dark. However, enough moonlight echoed through the windows to provide a comfortable portrait as to what lay ahead. It was a strange sight, unlike any architectural wonder Jen had yet encountered in her young life. Three staircases. No way around them. Every guest, or in this case intruder, had to pick one route. 
The staircases to either side slowly spun 90 degrees as they rose. The path most directly in front of her rose six steps, plateaued, and then submerged beyond one's line of sight. But Jen had been given instructions. Choose the right path. Surreptitiously, she climbed the planks. She walked on tiptoes in an effort to minimize the creaking. It wasn't working very well. Midway up the steps, the board below her let out a ghastly squeak, leaving Jen momentarily paralyzed. Jen waited for any movement. Did she wake anyone? Was there stirring? Didn't sound like it. Jen took in the portraits decorating the wall. They were all thrones, animals sitting on elegant thrones. They were painted very lifelike, except the animals each sat like humans, upright with prim posture. A lion, a hippo, a grizzly bear, an awkward ostrich, a hyena, a giraffe. The giraffe looked so much like Claude. That thought slammed through corridors of Jen's memory as she re-envisioned the horrid sight of that mechanical monster thrashing its head with such determined gusto against St. Denise's concrete. Why was that memory so toxic? Jen shrugged it off, recommencing her ascent. Another door beckoned at the top of the flight. She nudged it ajar. A long hallway revealed itself. Jen suppressed a frightened gasp as she marked the light underneath the door of the last room on the right. Just my luck, Jen thought. The one room I need just so happens to be occupied at 2 a.m. Three options stood in front of Jennifer Dash at that moment. One, run away and go home. Two, wait the light out. Hope that whoever's in there eventually goes to bed. Sneak in once full dark comes. Or three, go in anyway. Hope for the best. Option one wasn't an option. Who knew what the Patriot would do to her, especially since he'd already made good on his half of the arrangement. Option two meant suspenseful waiting. Jen wasn't sure her heart could take hours of that. And who knew? There was a good chance the light was left shining on accident. Jen held all her courage in her hands and scurried down the hallway. No pictures hung on these walls. But the walls, they bleed. Indeed, they bled a candy land of colors, as if someone lit up the hall with paintballs. If she took the time to inspect more thoroughly, Jen would have found evidence of this very assertion. A few feet from the door, Jen dropped to her knees, then to her stomach. Like a prepubescent snake at a school dance, Jen slithered awkwardly to the awaiting door. As she neared, she realized the door was already slightly ajar. Not enough to see in, but it certainly made the job easier. No knobs to turn, just push. Lying twisted on the carpet floor, Jen nudged the door ever so slowly open. Color! Color everywhere. Paintings, scribbles, drawings, everywhere. Every inch of this rather small room was covered with art. Cat art. Cat limbs, cat faces, cats smoking, cats singing, round cats, skinny cats, even cats with chicken pox. But wait, what's that? There! A body. A human body, hunched over a drawing desk, facing away from her. Jen had bet wrong. There was someone here. But to the left, hanging high up on the wall, right near the ceiling, Jen spotted what she was looking for, the Board of Inspiration, a poster board already filled with various push-pinned notes and caricatures. That body, it wasn't moving. It was a skinny little thing, with long, thin, white hair falling off the backside. Perhaps the person was asleep. A moment later, Jen was convinced of it. She could still pull this off. Slowly, ever so delicately, she pushed herself off the ground. Once on her knees, she rose the rest of the way. 
ever keeping an eye on the sleeping corpse. Tiptoeing. One step, two steps, three. Jen wanted to leap over, finish the job, and rush out before the sleeper could arise to stop her. Prudence won out the moment. She pulled the photo out of her back pocket. There didn't appear to be a free pushpin on the board, so she was going to have to cover up one already commissioned. As Jen neared this board of inspiration, a chilling realization dawned on her. Note, a stenciled sign showed off this name at the head of the panel itself. I can't reach it, Jen thought. It's too tall. Jen fancied herself a tall girl, and she surmised that she was at least half a foot taller than the old sleeper in the room. So either the board of inspiration belonged to someone else, or there was a footstool around. Jen scanned the room for such an instrument. It was hard to make out any one thing because every painting and doodad seemed to yell out at her, everything simultaneously vying for her attention. There, by the sleeper's feet. By the sleeper's feet, an apple box. A second later and Jen was back onto her stomach, inching towards the bedraggled dreamer. As she crept under the seat, she heard the sleeper's breath. Jen outstretched her hand, trying to grab for the wooden carton without getting too enmeshed with the sleeper's chair. It remained just out of reach. Jen tried again, stretching her fingers as far as possible. If you're going to use my stepladder, dear, I must insist you introduce yourself. The shock of the old lady's words jolted Jen. She jerked her chest in fear, slamming her back against the bottom of the resurrected corpse's chair, nearly knocking the homebody out of her seat. Oh dear me, the old lady exclaimed, sounding not too different than the Queen of England, even under this direct moment of duress. Come out from under there. Good heavens. Sheepishly, Jen scooted out. The gambit was over. She was caught. Good thing she brought that pantyhose to conceal her identity. As she stood, she glared at this old lady. She looked a thousand years old. Jen had never seen an older person in her life. Her eyes were so submerged in their sockets that Jen could easily make out the outline of the withering woman's skull. It was terrifying, and would be altogether revolting if not for the elderly woman's elegant voice. It's quite impolite to wear that poppycock over your face while we are being introduced. The tone was annoyed and stern. The lady presented her hand to shake. My name is Gertrude Norman. I'm widely known, however, as the cartoonist and author Mrs. Moose. How do you do, young lady? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Jen said barely above a whisper. Outwitted, outmatched, outplayed, Jen removed the pantyhose and shook Gertrude's hand. It was like shaking hands with a skeleton, with the Grim Reaper. And what is your name? Gertrude said in a teacherly oratory. Jennifer Dash. Stunned. Wrong name. I mean, Jennifer, Jennifer, or just Jen. Middle name is Free. Jen Free Dash. I mean, Jen Free Calling Calling. Miss Calling Calling? I mean, just, just one, just calling. I see. I'm sorry for intruding. Why? Don't you have a key? Yes, ma'am. And a button for the drawbridge to pass over the moat? Yes, ma'am. So how do you suppose that you're intruding? Uh, I don't know. I've already told you my name, sweetheart. Yes, ma'am. Well, then go ahead. Say my name. Jen's mind blank. What did she say her name was? There were two names, and one of them was a man's name. And the funny one. Speak up, Miss Calling. I... I... I, I can't remember. Miss Norman. Say it. Miss Norman. Jen was being treated like a four-year-old. She would have resented the humiliation, but her instinctual need to get out of there demanded compliance. Yes, my dear, very well. Now, I believe you have something for me. How, how do you know that? 
Miss Calling, do you really believe you're the one in the light here? I've been fighting wars with words and pictures since before your mother was born. I know many things. Almost everything. The light in Gertrude's eyes faded as her mind wandered through unknown horizons. Almost. Jen took the photo out of her back pocket and handed it to the old lady. I see you took special care of this. Gertrude sneered with sarcasm. The photo, having endured Jen's crawling exploits, was bent three ways and torn at the bottom right corner. Do you have anything else to give me? No, no ma'am. Do you have anything else you'd like to ask me? How do I solve the world? How do I escape this mess? Jen thought these thoughts, but said nothing. Mrs. Moose sniped. That's a shame. You could have gained so much just by opening your pretty little mouth. Now shoo! Get out of my house! Twenty-nine hours earlier, October 21st, 9.18 in the evening. She went with yellow, strapless, a full gown with nine-inch white heels. Jen had never felt prettier. She shimmered and sparkled with confident radiance. After her bargain with Patriot, she had been escorted to another hole in the earth. In said hole was a man known as Esoteric Tarek. It just so happened that Esoteric Tarek was a fashionista for the underground. His hole had thousands of options. Esoteric Tarek thought it best to accentuate Jen's energetic youth. He said she was a little girl trapped in a modern woman's body. Jen didn't know what that meant, but whatever the case, the suggestion inspired Tarek to offer two gorgeous options. The first was a baby blue motif. She may have ended up with that choice, but time was of the essence and it didn't quite fit well enough. Neither did the yellow gown, but Esoteric Tarek assured Jen that modifications on the yellow were an easy job, wherein the contours of the baby blue made changes in inexact science. Despite her best efforts, she still couldn't quite manage the 9pm roll call. Fashionably late at 9.18, Jen's knight in shining armor waited for her with a single red rose, like a shot straight out of The Bachelor. Rather than presenting the rose to her as she walked up to him, he re-engaged in that kiss that first brought them together. Ah, heaven again. Heaven returned to Earth. She was one with him, and they were together, the center of the universe. They were the sun, the stars, the everything. Who needed to solve the world? Who needed to solve anything? They were the kiss. There was nothing else. Moments floated by. Jen, dazed with wondrous wonder, Butterflies a flutter, and a handsome man was only cognizant of the opulence of St. Drogo's upon reflection later on. There were chandeliers, yes. There was fine china. There was a British butler. The ceilings had painted clouds on them, 40, 50 feet up. The meal passed by in a thick haze. She had wanted to hold on to this evening, these moments, these seams, these seams in life. But Jen couldn't. This was sensory overload. Too much good stuff equaled nothing being quantified or analyzed. No data intake, no reasoned deductions. She nibbled at the food offerings. Some olive smear on warm bread. Some fancy mussel or shrimp or something. Some kind of fish. Some vegetable. A basket of strawberries and blueberries. Though it looked like the basket was laid out for aesthetic rather than nutritious purposes. None of it mattered. All of Jen's efforts were focused on laughing, looking cute, smiling, and holding her composure. 
As far as intel went, the meal was a total bust. Her lover's name was Antonio de Anconi. Jen would later figure that meant Antonio was a member of the owner's family. He was Magical Kingdom royalty. That explained his ability to land a date at St. Drogo's so effortlessly. Never one for self-discipline, during some conversation about something or other, maybe dogs, Jen reached across the table and rested her lips on Antonio's. It was the first time she'd initiated a kiss. It was just as rich with emotional energy as the first. Surely the gods were smiling down on them. They couldn't have more chemistry if they were the Monsieur and Madame Curie. The meal ended with a hot, moving roll of some sort. Bread within bread with hot pudding. Or custard. It didn't matter. Rather than share this delectable, Antonio motioned toward a door and said, Come with me. Jen took his hand and they walked through the mansion. Past the door, a shimmering spiral staircase awaited them. Antonio held Jen's hand, rubbing her fingertips as he led her up the round and round. Up and up. Heaven forward. The dreary life of unknowns behind. To heaven and onward still. What possibly lays beyond the gates of paradise? Answer. A sterile room with a metal bed at its center. This is the silver room. Everything in here is silver. Even the sheets on the bed have little flecks of silver. Antonio effortlessly tossed his jacket on the side of the bed. Another kiss. Less sensual. More immediate. Together, the two danced toward the bed. He bent her at the small of the back, clearly motioning for Jen to lay down. They were spinning past heaven in an awful hurry. Jen resisted. Straightening up, she asked playfully, not wanting to crash the mood. <laughs> what are you doing? You know what I'm doing. What we're doing. Antonio, n no. It's fine. It's okay. This is a good thing. Two. Don't involve yourself with sexual conduct of any sort. Hey, I, I don't want this. <laughs> I mean, not now. Not, not yet. He caressed her shoulder. Come on, it's together. It's you and me. I'm not doing anything you don't want to do. Jen frumpily sat on the edge of the bed. I just want to talk. Antonio took a seat beside her. What do you want to talk about? Everything. The ecstasy of kissing this gorgeous older man had waned, and the soul-crushing reality of existence once again weighed on Jen. I never got anything when I was a kid. I never got to see the stars. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think so. Sure I do. The last few weeks have been incredible, but, but it's all hollow. Even you. <laughs> I'm afraid you're hollow too. What do you mean? I don't know. I'm, I'm riding around on an elephant, pretending to be Cleopatra, being swept off my feet by Prince Charming. It's all so mysteriously fun. I love it. I love living this insanity, being this character that I so enjoy being. But... I don't understand any of it. What are we living for? What's the point to all this madness? Yeah, living here. Antonio darted his eyes around the room, motioning towards this overwhelming silver ornateness. It's easy to believe that the whole world is just one big distraction. Yes! For the first time, Jen felt connected to her man, not based on physicality, but on the idea connected to his words. That's what I'm saying. Is this all distraction? If it is, what are we being distracted from, you know? True love, maybe, Antonio retorted. Jen retired home late that night after returning esoteric Tarek's dress. He groggily asked her how her evening had gone. She replied, I think I scared him off. Jen Zombie walked to her apartment and fell asleep before her head hit the pillow. October 21st, two hours earlier, 
7.04 p.m. in the company of the Patriot. Well, all the cards are on the table then. You have a request? I have the means to provide you what you want. But I know you have no money, no identity, nothing at all to offer a potentate like me. Hmm. Perhaps, Cinderella, I'll grant your request. I'll get you to Prince Charming's ball. But there's something I want in return. Yes, sir? How do you like your roommate? Thoughts bombarded Jen in a whirlwind. She was afraid of Tiff. She was mad at Tiff. She didn't understand Tiff. She didn't trust Tiff. Still, in this place, in sunny and underground California, she was the closest thing Jen had to a real friend. I like her fine, sir. Is that so? Yes, sir. She doesn't think too highly of you. Sir? She says you're naive, self-absorbed, overly confident, and ignorant of so many things. Do you think she's right? Uh, I don't... I don't understand. What was this? What did the Patriot want to pry from her? I need a certain job done. I won't tell you what that job is for, but I need to be able to trust you. You can trust me, sir. Yes, yes, I suppose I can. What you do, you can never tell Tiff. She must remain absolutely in the dark about this. Can I trust you to do this job and not <coughs> tell, tell your roommate? <coughs> <coughs> Patriot let out a loud cough as he seemingly choked on his own phlegm. Jen waited for him to clear his throat before she answered, but he answered for her first. Of course I can. She hates you. Naturally. You must hate her. Good. 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 The Patriot waddled over to a desk in the corner of the room. He pulled out a photo, a key, and a clicker. Jen examined the contents as he handed it to her. Her eyes widened. A key and that button will get you into 12 Yertle Drive in Santa Barbara. You'll go there tomorrow night, late. Through the front door, take the far right staircase. Go to the last room on the left. Put the photo on the board of inspiration. Go home. Just like that. In and out. Simple, my dear. Do this for me, Cinderella, and I'll get you to the ball. The photo the Patriot handed her was of Tiff and Flusher, hugging and smiling at the camera. Hey everybody, Solve the World is produced by myself, Dante Stack. All the sound effects and music we use for this program are under Creative Commons licenses and can be found on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. I'd like to thank freesound.org and freemusicarchive.org for that material. Hey guys, if you like the program, please help me sustain it by writing a review on iTunes, sharing this program with a friend, or donating on our donations page at DanteStack.com. Thanks. See you next week. Hi, I'm Ian from Malaysia, and I've listened to all 100 episodes of Jen's story. Jen's world is spiraling out of her grasp. Some are under the veil of the spectacle of boyfriends and theme park rides. Is a darkness. Stay with us next time, when it'll take a blood-curdling scream to keep Jennifer Dash alive. She's about to need help just to make it through the night, and stay on the right path to solve the world.